is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 14th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use a code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Listen, folks, I got the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STEAK. You're going to buy one, get one free. I love it. It's pillowier fluffier, more comfortable, and definitely cooler. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, looking to invest in something a little bit stronger than these investment banks that are collapsing, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram. It's Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 221. I'm Roan, all alone in the studio today, but Noah's going to be joining us remotely in just a bit. Alan Jacoby's keying up. Guys, we got a great episode. Liz Harrington, spokeswoman for Donald Trump, is going to be here. Trump 2024 campaign lawyer. Christina Bob's going to be joining us as well. And Newsweek opinion writer podcast host on multiple shows. Josh Hammer is going to be joining us today on the program as well. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. All right. I think one of the biggest stories that's taken up the news cycle right now is the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. It it broke late last week and took us into the weekend, kind of sent the Biden regime into a tussle. And uh, it's just another example of how going woke this time, both literally and metaphorically means that you're going broke. Uh, (laughs) What do you guys think? Alan's here. Noah's here. Remote. We're going to be jumping in with uh, Trump 2024 special official spokeswoman Liz Harrington in just a bit. Christina Bob's going to be here a little bit later in the show. We're also going to hear from Josh Hammer today. As you guys saw this story developing, what was uh, 
you know, at the forefront here uh, of your guys thinking of how we could allow this to happen again and, and how bad optically does it look for the current state of the U.S. economy? I saw no surprise whatsoever that more shit was going wrong for this administration and just for the country. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and of course, they're they're turning around and they all want to blame the big bad orange man, Donald Trump, because of his deregulation, which Trump's bank deregulation, it was done to help smaller banks. Right. It, Trump's deregulation did not cause these banks to fail. And the left wants to paint that picture because the left wants big government, of course. They always want big government. They always want regulation for everything. So people can't be fooled like because the Democrats will stop at nothing to control and regulate and govern. Banks take insane risks outside of what they should, you know, what they should normally because you know, we don't operate, I guess you could say, in, in a free market sometimes, but they, they know that if they fail, that the government will bail them out. Yeah. And what does that cause? It causes them to take on more risks because they're investing in a lot of startups. So we need definitely more deregulation and less government, I always say. And you have people like Maxine Waters right now, who I, I can't stand, you know? None of us can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always refer to her as Rafiki from The Lion King. She was, anyway. all, she was also great in the. <laughs> she she was also great in the Dark Crystal too. She was the witch in that movie. But you know she she even says that um, you can't uh, you can't say that the Trump rollback rollbacks caused the uh, the SVB to to collapse and that it's too early. But it, it, his deregulation did not cause it, and that's the main thing right now is that they're going to spin this and that. Even Joe Biden, I believe, said it himself. I believe there's an audio clip somewhere where he it's because of the Trump administration. These banks are failing and it's just simply not true. Yeah, he did mention his predecessor in, in one of his uh, speaking events. It might have been the one yesterday, which we'll get to in just a bit. It's just amazing. They're trying to blame him for literally everything like oh, the trains. Yep, that was Trump. OK, well, now the banks. Yep, that was Trump, too. Mm -hmm. If if Donald Trump cured cancer, they'd find something to vilify him for it. Yeah, so now, it now he's destroying the medical industry because now people don't need chemotherapy anymore. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. B big Pharma's going bankrupt now. It's all Trump's fault. Well, we're talking about literally and metaphorically here. Let's let's talk about some of the red flags. Last month when Jim Cramer was out on MSNBC telling everybody is this is one of his top 10 investment banks to jump into uh, – Internationally, there was already yeah, 10,000 customers who were already in danger of, uh, you know, not being able to uh, meet their payrolls and stuff like that out of the over 40,000 people that use SVB. In addition to that, a lot of our listenership might not be familiar with the name Joseph Gentile. He was the man that was uh, captaining the Lehman Brothers ship when it collapsed in late 2007 early 2008 and and believe it or not he, he was on the the board of directors here and then you talk about the head of their financial risk management which is essentially why this happened uh jay jay arapa and uh a lot of people have come out and claimed i mean there are several different pronouns she days and uh blue-haired meanie related material and her bio on the now closed svb uh main page but you know they said, listen, we had to celebrate transgender rights and, and LBGT for an entire month instead of worrying about anything to do with the banks. Uh, and it's it's kind of just shows when this is what you're doing, you know, a lot of people aren't talking about also SVB was putting aside $5 billion to just blanketly throw towards uh, climate change bullshit as well. So a lot of these factors, people that 
historically have mismanaged a lot of money and then people who care about their pronouns more than what they're supposed to actually do at work eventually led to this bank collapsing. And it, it also led to the federal government seizing control of another bank, which is right at the risk of, of collapsing as well. That's signature bank, another international, uh, you know, money outlet right now. That's, that's not doing so well. And, uh, you know, we, we just have to look at the logistics here. We see all the stuff that's been going on. It's been contributing to this. Obviously, inflation is through the roof. Uh, as supply chain expert Jim Nels pointed out last week, although the Biden administration touts that less than 7% now, 7% is probably a pretty decent national average. But when you look into the major metropolitan areas of the United States, where an overwhelming majority of the citizens who live in this country live, it's well over 15%. And, you know, it's even higher when you contribute the energy costs into that, which a lot of people don't. They like to have energy and then the economy separate. But when you put them together, the inflation rate's through the roof. In addition to that, you've had the major corporations like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, you name it. They've, they've been laying off tens of thousands of people, Amazon, uh, for a better part of the last calendar year now. And all of that contributes to, uh, you know, hurting wages, people bringing home less money. And, and this is what happens when you have a bank that allows like tens of thousands of startups to jump in there and just blanketly loans them. And then, you know, they only have $250,000 in insurance limits through the FDIC for each of these startups that get in there. And, and you're talking about all these billions that have just been absolutely washed away from existence. So, you know, it's been awful for the economy. The stock market has not been doing well. A lot of red over the course of the last three or four days because of this. And uh, Tucker Carlson kind of laid it out last night. Let's hear him. On Friday, as you know, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, failed. That became the second largest bank failure in American history. Then on Sunday, authorities took over Signature Bank in New York. That became the third largest bank failure in American history. Then today, shortly after the markets opened, trading in several regional banks had to be halted. Western Alliance was down almost 80%. First Republic, which of course Jim Cramer endorsed just a few days ago on CNBC. <laughs> That was down nearly 70%. Jim Cramer's always welcome to come on this show for amusement purposes. PacWest, down 50%. Comerica, down 40%, and so on. So there was panic, of course, reflected in markets, and it wasn't just regional banks that were affected. For a while this morning, you could not even trade stock in Charles Schwab, mm. venerable Charles Schwab. Schwab had down 25% and tripped a circuit breaker. That's bad. Yeah. In fact, that kind of panic could quickly, conceivably, become a catastrophe. So on the brink of catastrophe, you need one thing, strong, competent leadership. But we don't have that. We have Joe Biden. Today he shuffled out to the podium and announced a bailout. I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. All right. So the money the Biden administration is using for this bailout apparently is coming from the FDIC. So the feds have it covered. Don't worry about the details. Everything's totally fine. Hold on. Slow down, pal. How did this happen? Can we get an explanation? Explanation for that? Don't we have regulators? Easy there, talking. And how did those regulators, since we're pretty confident they exist or are taking big salaries, how did they miss the fact that SVB was insolvent apparently for months and not in some complex credit default swap way? You're going to spend 5,000 words trying to understand, but in a really simple way that's easy to understand. Their liabilities were bigger than their assets. It's very simple. 
how did nobody notice that? The people who were paid to notice it. Well, Joe Biden unfortunately answered none of those questions. He just ran for the door. He certainly did. He, he let himself. That was another weird thing. Joe Biden, I, I got to tell you, Bricksuit put out a post yesterday. It was like a 25-second post. Great friend of the show. Uh, at every single Trump speaking event, front row, gets acknowledged by the 45th president and just about everywhere he goes to speak. Did so in Iowa yesterday, which we're going to be talking about with Christina Bob in just a little bit. But you you have to take into consideration here, like, how did we get to this point where no one even chose to care? Like, did they think it was going to fix itself? Did they think that, you know, the pronouns were going to circumvent the actual banking business that needs to go into this? Are people just blindly listening to complete retards like Jim Cramer on MSNBC? I think this is the third or fourth major one just since January that he said, like, go all in. on. I mean, he was telling everybody to, to, to jump on crypto yesterday, and, and I just can't believe that this guy is allowed to unregulatedly go through life uh doing all these bad decisions and he's like one of those major triggers like uh keith olberman when you say one thing about him and he sees your account he'll fucking blow you up online but right. he, he's cost so many americans billions of dollars over the course of you know the entirety of his career i just can't believe that uh you know that we've gotten to this point. And then when you talk about Joe Biden yesterday, letting himself out of the room, uh, getting back to my point, brick suit, right? So he puts up this post and it was a no context post, Joe Biden, 25 seconds, no audio. And, and what's the one thing you notice is that he opens up the door like a creepy old man. There's yeah. no one by the door. There, there's nobody there around him. He lets himself into the room, walks to the podium, and then it cuts to the end. People start asking him questions. Obviously, you can't hear it because it's no audio. And then he just walks to the door again and lets himself out and closes it behind him. Very weird. Very odd. Very odd. Who's it's in like the entire staff quit. Well, that, that may be <laughs> facts of the matter as well. So I, I wouldn't take that... Uh, for, for more than what it's worth, Noah, that might actually be, you know, some some truth bombs there. I did see. Uh, well, I just don't understand why didn't uh, I don't understand why why didn't the banks just identify as not bankrupt? <laughs> Those would be the ultimate pronouns there, right? Listen, not but, bankrupt, but have, but have no fear because just so everybody can feel safe, that the Federal Reserve is there. They're conducting an internal review. Of the oversight. Oh, oh, Silicon Valley sounds Bank. like so some everybody feels safe. Some sternly worded letters are inbound. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 While people lose their life savings. Uh, you know, it, it was funny too. I saw over the weekend uh, there was a panel on MSNBC, and, uh, you know, w one of the contributors there, I, she's a complete moron, ridiculous lefty, but she was talking about, and I'm surprised that they actually didn't, uh, you know, cut her mic when she started talking about. It. She said for, for a long time that this bank has been used as a, a Democrat Party ATM bank. Uh, you know, the, they'll they'll send, I'm air quoting now, startups there and uh, get these ridiculous loans with enormous interest rates and, and minimal insurance limits and, and just not worry about any of the eventual consequences, which is one of the things that we're dealing with now. I saw ex-CEO of Home Depot, uh, Bernie Marcus, he jumped on with, I know I can't stand him, Neil Cavuto yesterday, but wanted to talk about, you know, I, how identifying as absolutely broke is not a good thing. Do you think there are others like like this bank out there? I think there probably are. Yeah, I think that the system, I think that the administration has pushed many of these banks into more concern about global warming yep, there it is. than they do about shareholder return. 
Uh, yep. And these banks are badly run because everybody is focused on diversity and all of the woke issues and not concentrating on one thing they should, which is shareholder returns. Uh, instead of protecting the shareholders and their and their employees, uh, they're more concerned about the social policies. And I think it's probably a badly run bank. Uh, they've been there for a lot of years. It's uh, pathetic that so many people lost money that won't get it back. Well, that's the fact of the matter there. Like I said, the $250,000 insurance limit doesn't make up for the billions that, you know, eventually were evaporated. And then they were showing on the banner there, you had Signature Bank, uh, First Republic and uh, PacWest all down over 25% uh, of their total market value right now. And, you know, the, the, this is big. When, when you have the, the top tier, the highest end of the housing market starting to show cracks, people losing their home, people in ridiculously uh, unrecoverable debt right now and, and starting to get, you know, kicked out of their homes. And then you have some of the biggest banks, the ones that deal internationally, uh, who, who he made an excellent point there. We'd love to send you startup after startup and just allow your bank to flourish. But how much money are you putting aside for climate change before we do? You know, this is one of the banks that that Corrine Jean-Pierre has mentioned that uh, risk management uh, manager there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talked about her being like the first gay black whatever, uh, like she does for everything else. Uh, yeah, exactly. Equity manager and, and talking about diversity and all the other bullshit. So it, it, it's a lot of contributing factors here, which is, is starting to scare the market. It, it's starting to invest bankers. You, you've seen on the news over the course of the last few days, people lining up at banks to get their money out because they want to know, you know, what right. they have is still going to be there. Uh, current treasury secretary, Janet Yellen, who's got a full plate in addition to this crap, she's flying over to Ukraine to meet with Vladimir Zelensky. She has the debt ceiling debate coming up. And now she's presented with the challenge of uh, probably going to be reworking a lot of parts of Joe Biden's budget, which that absolute ridiculous monster was outlined in our Substack, which just came out this morning. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the show. But let's hear from the Treasury Secretary right now. Let me be clear that um, during the financial crisis, um, there were um, investors um, and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out and we're certainly not looking and uh, the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again but we are concerned about depositors and are focused on uh, trying to meet their needs. Can you say whether these problems were unique to, to Silicon Valley Bank or can you say whether there will be other regional bank failures? Well, look, let me just say that we want to make sure that the troubles that exist at one bank don't create contagion oh. uh, to others that are sound. Oh. And um, a goal always of what? supervision oh. and regulation is to make sure that contagion can't, oh. uh, can't occur. Contagion? Can they not refer to anything with pandemic-related pronouns when they're talking about their absolute failures? Well, yeah, and then it's like the, the what like is 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 uh, systemic? Is that like the new dog whistle for like it's bad word or what? What word? Systemic. Oh. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, we we want to talk about inherent banking as well. I mean, that's a sh- yeah. sure I'm one they're going to be talking about uh, in the near future. What we want our listenership to be talking about now is white banker rage. What we want our listenership to be raging about right now is figuring out exactly where to listen to our show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the show. Hit the notification bell, rate it, leave a review. Also, social media is all of them across the platforms right now. Instagram, True Social, Twitter, Getter. Type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Follow the show. Hit the notification bell. You'll get all the fire content that we deliver biweekly on the show directly to your social media applications and automatically download to all of your players. Uh, as we already mentioned with the brick suit post before Joe Biden wheeled himself out apparently uh, to talk about this yesterday, even though he waited three weeks to mention East Palestine, Ohio, let's hear him talk about the banks in 48 hours. Over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Oh. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills and stay open for business. No losses, will, and I'm on, this is an important point, no losses oh. will be borne by the taxpayers. He's serious, Jack. Let me repeat that. No oh. losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Oh. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Already Second, debunked. the management of these banks will be fired. Oh. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. Oh. Third, investors in the banks will not be protected. Oh. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. And fourth, there are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. And my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law. (laughs) Oh, boy. I can't. Well, they already blamed. Wait, God. when when, when did he when did he say rest assured the people of uh, East Palestine, Ohio, your water is drinkable and the air is clean? Things of that nature. The air is clean. Yeah, your kids won't get cancer. You can rest in, easy in at night knowing that you're not going to die die of some horrible disease in thirty years. Still waiting for the th- three eyed fish from the Simpsons to show up there. I, I'm it's, pretty sure it's coming. I know it, and. Uh, <laughs> Listen, they already tried to pin this on, on Donald Trump. There was a lot of uh, lefty accounts out there over the course of the weekend showing that it was like a minute 30 clip of Donald Trump talking about rolling back some you know, previously standing bank regulations, making it easier for people to invest, this, that, and the other thing. But what we need to take into account here is, is that we know, especially if this is something that the administration didn't agree with, and we know why they don't agree with it, because all of their little progressive minion startups can go in there and get all this money out to reinvest in climate change, to reinvest in Democrat ran campaigns. That's why the Biden administration didn't come in and put the brakes on the deregulations of the Trump era uh, fix to help make, you know, small American businesses great again, which was Donald Trump's goal. And, uh, you know, his objective heading into uh, changing the regulations on banks. So pretty telling there that they're already looking to pass the buck, but no surprises on who they decided to try and blame it on. I did see that uh, Moody's came out today, and uh, it's not looking pretty. So Moody's cuts outlook on U.S. banking system to negative, 
citing rapidly deteriorating operating environment. And that's, uh, that just broke in the last hour here on the West Coast, and that's via CNBC, which is the financial outlet of the uh, Democrat wing of the NBC news outlet. I did see uh, Stephen Miller. He jumped on, I believe, Boomer Sweats last night to talk about, you know, what's going on in Silicon Valley and and how these woke projects are contributing to the absolute decline and, and eventual destruction of the current banking system we have in the United States. Let's hear him. Four weeks ago, the Biden signed that says equity or DEI, is the core mission of every single agency in the federal government. In other words, they went around the country the way the executives at Silicon Valley Bank ran that financial institution. Yep. Take huge, risky gambles on crazy woke projects, crazy climate projects, virtue signaling with no financial integrity, no financial soundness underneath, and this whole country is going to go the way of Silicon Valley Bank if we don't change direction. And you can't be uh, more clear than that. We'll hear about some of that woke crap that's that's interwoven into pretty much everything that comes out with the Biden regime a little bit later in the show when we talk about uh, the Biden budget, which dropped on Friday. And, and due to its ridiculous size and, and potentially hurtful nature to the nation, it was quickly slept under the rug after the SVB uh, bank collapse. So th- that was a pretty good bait and switch right there. Um, as we're getting ready to jump in with uh, Trump 2024 spokeswoman Liz Harrington, we're going to be joined directly after that to cover the Iowa speaking event with Christina Bob in just a bit. But before we do any of that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Joining us next here on the show, she's the official spokeswoman for the 45th President of the United States, Donald John Trump, Miss Liz Harrington. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Liz, it's always a pleasure to host you. How's everything going with you? Busy times right now for the 45th President as he makes run for 47. Oh, absolutely. Great event yesterday in Iowa, meeting with the people I mean, they were lined up uh, around the many blocks and the freezing weather. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of the pregame coverage on RSBN, but I mean, it just shows you the energy, the enthusiasm. It's all behind President Trump because they know exactly what he can deliver and that we need that type of leadership again. So that event was amazing and he gave a great speech, but even uh, maybe more fun was when he took the questions from the audience uh, and really just shows the side of him that you don't get to see as often. But, I mean, the people love President Trump. The feeling is mutual, and uh, the campaign is going really, really great. No, oh, it, it's rolled out nicely. Uh, polls have, have shown that even when unannounced candidates are, are infused to that. I thought the Iowa event was an intimate event yesterday, but that uh, – 
touch and feel, you know, personality that Donald Trump has, that he's not just um, one of the most important political figures of our lifetime, but someone who, like, he went to the barbecue joint before uh, the speaking event and then fielded questions from the audience. Some of that included children yesterday and, and hit on a lot of policy points as the most pro-farmers president we've ever had and, and, and talked about how some of the competition there haven't really produced those receipts over the course of their political career. So I thought it was great, and it was definitely a, a step in the right direction following his big address at CPAC. He outlined a lot of his policy stuff there, Liz. Border security, the largest deportation operation in the history of the United States, returning to American energy independence, fixing the economy, ending the war in Ukraine. What are some of the big things right now that Donald Trump's really looking to hit that some of his opponents probably will not be in line with America first uh, as he continues along the campaign trail? Well, there's really so many because when you look at the state of politics, the uniparty has really gotten a hold of most of the politicians in Washington and most of the politicians that will be throwing their hat into the ring. And there's not much of a difference, but there is with President Trump. And it's all about common sense. He said it last night and he was asked a question about education. And he said, you know, a lot of my answers sound, oh, people would think, oh, that's, you know, he's conservative. That's great. But he said, it's really uh, about common sense. And whether it's energy or the border or trade or our military and national security, foreign policy, all of that comes down to what is America's interest and what is the common sense thing we need to do. And the people get it. And that's what the president uh, delivers. That's what he delivered in his first term. And he's been laying out a ton of policy that really sets him apart uh, from anyone else. No one has a track record he has. They also don't have the, the follow through, uh, the substance uh, and the depth on these issues that get to the heart of uh, what the American people want sure. and, and what they uh, want desperately need to happen. So like on trade, for instance, he laid out a great tr trade policy that you will not hear from anyone else uh, about universal tariffs and getting us on an equal footing again. And we saw it through the first term, how all the you know establishment uh, people in the media said, oh, you know, this is terrible. And, the, you know, all the quote unquote free trade people and the big think tanks said that this is going to be a disaster. The opposite happened. We actually increased um, our the money coming into the Treasury. We also lowered the trade deficit. Uh, we were finally holding China to account. But this even broadens what he did in his first term and will really stimulate our manufacturing base again. Uh, and make us uh, an economic world power that we're losing. I mean, you've seen the news, obviously, all these, the, you have these bank collapses now and all this turmoil in the economy. None of this has to be happening. And that's just one example of what President Trump's going to do. It's going to shore up our economy make us great again and deliver real results for the American people. Yeah, I think to piggyback off of what you're saying for that policy uh, bullet point there is he even alluded to in, in another question that was asked, uh, when you talk about the common sense outside the box thinking that a lot of the establishment candidates will not have, uh, you know, or just won't use on the campaign trail uh, is when he was talking about uh, providing security for countries uh, that wanted uh, new trade deals. Like, you want to buy stuff from us, and we have a military base there. Where do you get, let's say, like your uh, military equipment, your fighter jets or your missiles from? Oh, we buy them from China. 
you're buying military equipment from China, but we're sitting here on a military base in your country physically protecting you. That's not going to happen anymore. You're either going to stop buying from them and buy from us or we're leaving. And, and he said that led to a lot of productive results. We saw it in, in the trade deficit going down. The taxes and tariffs obviously worked immensely, especially with China uh, before the pandemic as well. And uh, it, it's just how some of his uh, already established policies are evolving into the 2024 campaign. Liz, one of the things you mentioned right at the top of that was the Uniparty. Obviously, he calls out Mitch McConnell at every speaking event and every chance he gets because he's contributed to so many negative things in Washington in uh, helping Joe Biden be able to use the receipts that he's become a legislative juggernaut throughout the course of the first years of his uh, presidency by, you know, rolling out the uh, American Rescue Act, by rolling out the... Uh, Inflation Non-Reduction Act, the CHIP Act, and stuff like that, all with the help of Mitch McConnell and the senators that he's allowed to whip. In addition to that, what Mitch McConnell did in the midterm elections is, is pretty much unforgivable, and, and we'll always have those receipts as well. But he's also continued to hit Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney, Karl Rove, Jeb Bush, and uh, kind of lumped them in with the perspective of Ron DeSantis running for president, who's out on a book tour right now. We've kind of tabbed it on the show as his way as governor of Florida to kind of avoid those campaign finance rules and laws and taxes that a lot of people do. But but when you see the questions that he's answer, at, answering and, and kind of the venues they're setting uh, Ron DeSantis up in right now, they're obviously, this, this is a preamble to his eventual candidacy and head-to-head uh, -head matchup with Donald Trump. As Donald Trump's reestablishing those lines within the Republican Party, and I think Donald Trump's doing a really good job, uh, definitely saw it at CPAC and then in Iowa yesterday at reclaiming a lot of the base who, who felt abandoned after 2020. Uh, what can you say to the uh, eventual matchup that's coming down the pike here? Well, President Trump really spoke to it last night. And when you're looking at uh, the state of our politics, it really is the uniparty versus America first. And when you're looking at uh, these different candidates, I mean, who else is in the America first lane? It really is only President Trump. And Ron DeSantis is a disciple of Paul Ryan. You look at his track record and you even look at his new statements. They're, they're, they're not straight uh, shooting answers. <laughs> they're not. Even his latest ones on Ukraine, it sounds like it's America first at first glance. And then you look at it and it's almost like a lawyer wrote it. It's with all of these escape hatches to say that actually his policy isn't that different than Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not sending F-16s right now. So it's really not that different. And when you look uh, beyond the surface level, uh, all of that kind of falls apart. I mean, he's gotten some nice headlines. He's gotten the Twitter, you know, accolades. But when you look at the actual substance, there's not a ton there. And that's the opposite with President Trump. You get substance all the time and you get real results and you don't have to question what he's going to do. I mean, you know exactly what he's going to do. This is in 2016 when he had never been in politics before and he was just laying out his great ideas. Now he's got the real results to, that go with it and there's just no comparison. And he delivered peace and prosperity. He didn't get us into any new wars. And Putin did not invade another country. Right. It's all because President Trump had peace through strength and they knew, just like you were referencing in this uh, policies about trade in our military bases, they knew, our allies and our foes alike knew, the days of taking advantage of the United States were over. And President Trump is so unique in being able to deliver on that because he doesn't need any big donors. He doesn't need the globalists. They don't own him. 
And you can't say that about Ron DeSantis. He will always need something. I mean, he needs Rupert Murdoch to launch this shadow campaign. I mean, it's so transparent that people are smart. They see right through it. It's not organic. But President Trump, everything about his grassroots movement, the largest, most powerful political movement in American history, that is real. And people see that. That's why they're attracted to it. That's why they'll wait out in the freezing cold uh, in Davenport, Iowa, yesterday to see him, because it's real and there's really no substitute for that. Is this really all come down to the fact that Donald Trump was not able to be bought over by a lot of the globalist elites, the the billionaire donor class and stuff like that throughout the course of his initial campaign, his presidency, and then his reelection campaign, Liz, that this big pushback to kind of end Make America Great Again is reaching a pinnacle and will for surely in the 2024 presidential. I mean, Donald Trump outlined it yesterday. He said, this is the start of the final battle. We do not have a country left over if we do not win the White House back in 2024. And, and you know, for a lot of people who think to say stuff like that is cliche, I mean, we were fed Ron DeSantis for, you know, 10 days straight, 10 minute spots on every show on Fox for almost two weeks straight. And and it's just like, (laughs) by the end of it, I was starting to feel like, okay, this is cringe. He's got like, you know, he's got borders on where he could, you know, go off with answering questions. And then it's very awkward when he doesn't give the answer that it looks like the Fox host is wanting to get from him. And they kind of awkwardly segue. And even when they are talking about Donald Trump, it's like I I watched the five the other day and they were asking for somebody to report on something on Donald Trump. They said like a whole minute thing about what Donald Trump's doing. He did great at CPAC. And then right before she threw it over who who she was going to get commentary from, she's like, and then tell us what you think of Ron DeSantis. I was like, (laughs) is this really where we're at with this? Like I had to rewind my television and be like, that's so awkward. And so, you know, pre-baked, it looks like it's the fixes in and, and, and people don't understand that we're dealing with a once in a lifetime political icon who after this election cycle will be essentially out of politics. And, uh, if we take that for granted as a movement and don't really, you know, fire up the, uh, cannons and circle the wagon here our country is going to be in very big trouble we're already starting to see with the housing market our 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 previously uh you know ones that fell in line geopolitical non-allies all collaborating with each other to to form a not america first coalition around the world we see it with our border the bank systems are starting to collapse the housing markets at the top levels are starting to collapse and we need somebody to come in and get this country back to uh you know being being the beacon of hope and freedom that it was under uh, donald trump for a good portion of his presidency and especially before the pandemic well exactly right and you know even just two years um you're thinking will we make it two years i mean president trump talks about this all the time because things are really bad i mean how much they've destroyed our great country in such a short period of time Uh, and the american people see it and they know how serious it is and it's just not serious when you're in a diner. Poor Brian Kilmeade. He can't find. He's trying so hard. He even find. He finally sees someone with a Ron DeSantis T-shirt, and even she says, "Well, you know, Trump or DeSantis, I guess." But see, there's just they're trying so hard, and the American people. We just they don't have they don't have time for this. They don't right. have time for the the business as usual politics. It's not business as usual anymore. I mean, after the aftermath of the rigged and stolen election, I think so many people were woken up to the fact that wow, this is very serious, and we're going to lose our country if we don't make a drastic course correction and root out the corruption. And you've seen it in the two years since, over two years, just 
the absolute horror that has happened to our country and every which way you look at it. And the American people understand. I mean, there's one man who, you know, we were on a terrible track in 2016. And if Hillary Clinton, God forbid, had ever made it into the White House, I mean, we would be done as a country, I think. Uh, President Trump threw a wrench in their system. It totally changed their game plan. So much so that 2020, the, this, the stops that they had to pull, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, and it's still to this day, I mean, the, the sham investigations haven't stopped, all these different things. And when you, when you look at that, you know how serious we're in, the state we're in, and you need someone who's proven like you said, a once-in-a-lifetime generational leader um, who is just so well-suited for this time. We need a fighter. He is our fighter. He's our voice. As he said at CPAC in that such amazing speech, for everyone who's been wronged and betrayed, he is your retribution. And we need that. We need that in a country because things have gotten so far off the tracks that if we don't correct it soon, we won't uh, We won't have uh, a free free country any longer and that will be devastating not just for america but for the entire world absolutely and we're starting to see it with the rise of the BRICS nations and how they're kind of forming a coalition that's definitely not what uh has the best american interests at hand funny thing that you mentioned there you mentioned that brian kilmeade spot we played it on the show liz i actually had to be told and and give a lot of credit here to uh the editor-in-chief of the national pulse raheem kassam he mentioned it to me that diner is in ron DeSantis's former congressional district yes and he grew up just 20 minutes away from it and probably frequented it a lot throughout the course of his life and they still couldn't find somebody even with a Ron DeSantis shirt on uh, to, to say wholeheartedly they're all in uh, for Team Ron and then when, when you talk about the war in Ukraine and how Donald Trump ha- has already said he can get that over pretty darn quick you know you had Hillary Clinton she was stumping around over the course of the weekend Hillary Clinton was with the first lady of Ukraine talking about hot wars and regime change so yeah. For everything that Joe Biden doesn't say and just pays for, Hillary Clinton will continue to pay for and then is already saying ahead of the 2024 cycle. It's neither here nor there or yet to be determined on whether or not she's going to be jumping in the race or not. But she sure (laughs) does uh, get on the the Sunday morning news circuit once a month to make it seem like she might uh, be be a challenger to Joe Biden moving forward. So what's next for the campaign, Liz? We, We know we've got some more events coming up. Obviously, Donald Trump is still weathering the storm from the lawfare that radical DAs in both Georgia and and New York State are, are, are kind of slinging arrows at him with, but he, he takes it in stride, as does all the members of his team are involved. But what could we expect from uh, the 45th president right now as we're getting ready to continue down the campaign trail? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's really going to pick up. We're going to be doing more of these, I think, intimate events. They're really, you know, show a different side, uh, maybe more traditional in the sense, but they're, they're really important. I mean, when he stops at uh, the barbecue joint in Iowa or at the ice cream place in South Carolina and McDonald's in East Palestine, I mean, that that's just so important to for the American people to see him and meet with him. Um, and he loves doing that. And so I think more events like that, that we can work that stuff in um, just is really important. He, he really thrives off the energy of the American people. And he loves being out there. So we're going to continue to push that. There, there will be rallies uh, coming up not too far away. And we're just really excited. I mean, he's putting out so much policy, uh, so many great ideas at a time that we really need to hear them. We really need to look forward 
to something. Um, and he, he's got a great vision and it's all him. And so it, we're really, really excited. I think it's uh, really important uh, at this perilous time that we have him stepping up, filling this void, showing real leadership. Uh, you've got the whole, if <laughs> you mentioned the crooked DAs, you've got the sham uh, crooked special prosecutor, you've got you know, the fake news, you've got the donors, you've got all the things stacked against him, but he is stronger today. Uh, he's got the people behind him and we're really really excited yeah i mean you mentioned it right there east palestine uh by the end of the first month after the disaster and everything was deemed pretty much safe for someone like donald trump to visit he was there on the ground meeting the people getting tours with the mayor paying for dinner for the police and fire departments and the first responders there joe biden it took i think almost three full weeks for him to actually acknowledge a question from the press regarding East Palestine. However, when Silicon Valley Bank, which we talked about in our first segment, just before you jumped in with us today, Liz, uh, collapsed on Friday, Monday morning, first thing of the day, even before he had, you know, his applesauce and lollipop, he was out there talking about a taxpayer-funded bailout for these banks that are starting to fail. It just shows where this, the interest of the Democrat Party is, the special interests of the lobby groups are, and just another additional chip that's stacked against Donald Trump heading into this election cycle. But it seems like he's up for the task, he's ready for the fight, and as always, Liz, we'll, we'll be continuing to check in with you on uh, everything that's going on with President Trump. For everyone that's not following you today, we're going to live link the campaign in the show description, but where can they follow you? Uh, on True Social at Real Liz USA, uh, same handle on Twitter, uh, and go to DonaldJTrump.com, get all our alerts, uh, all our press releases, and uh, follow us on the trail. Absolutely. We're going to be jumping in to uh, break down the Iowa speaking event yesterday with Miss Christina Bob in just a minute. But before we do that, we want to thank the official spokeswoman for the 45th President of the United States, Miss Liz Harrington. Thanks for joining us on the show today. So good to be with you. Seven years, our MAGA movement, the greatest in political history, there's never been anything like this, has been taking on all of the evil and sinister forces trying to destroy America's future. You know that. You know it better than most. We stand up to the globalists. We stand up to the Marxists. The Marxists. Remember, I said, we will never have socialism. That train left socialism a long time ago. Never even stopped at that station. We stand up to the crooked Democrat prosecutors all over the country. If I fly over a state that happens to be Democrat, let's call them into a grand jury. They have never, nobody's ever weaponized like this group of people. They're maniacs. We stand up to the rhinos, communists, and the anti-energy extremists. We stand up to the open borders fanatics and the pro-China special interests and the fake news media, of which we have quite a bit of it right here. We put workers first, we put farmers first, and above all, we put America first. We put America first. Well, Donald Trump was back on the campaign trail yesterday making a speaking event appearance in Iowa. And uh, what better way to finish wrapping up with the official spokeswoman for the 2024 campaign, Liz Harrington, than doing a segment on Donald Trump's speaking event yesterday with Trump 2024 campaign lawyer, technically a legal expert now, and author, Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining us on the show. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. So I'm sure you watched uh, 45 in action yesterday. Very uh, energetic and lively speaking event that he gave. He seems to have redefined what some of the names he's going to be calling out, at least in these early stages of the 2024 campaign, are going to be Paul Ryan, Carl Rove, Mitch McConnell, obviously Ron DeSantis. We'll hear about all them in just a bit. But uh, what did you think about the, the entirety of it? There was, there was a big line outside. One of the biggest yeah. one of the biggest contrasts I make, Christina, you can vouch for me because you go to a ho- whole lot more of these events than uh, you know, me and Noah and even Alan ever ever get a chance to get to. So when I see CPAC, when I see uh, some of the other announced candidates and some of the ones not, Ron DeSantis on his book tour, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, even Mike Pence at the Club for Growth Crap. Everybody in the audience is 900 years old, which, listen, you need that audience, and I'm sure for all of our listenership that are in the 900-year-old demographic, we love and support you just as much as you love and support us. But the fact of the matter is, is that when when you see Right Side Broadcasting going down the line, there's parents, there's little children, there's teenage kids, and it, it's a very diverse age-wise group of people that are showing up to these Trump events, much has been the case with the, with the last two times he ran for office. Yeah, you're exactly right. Donald Trump has everybody. He has every demographic. He has America. He really does have the heart of the American people. And I really am so excited to see him back out on the campaign trail. And I can't wait to go to whatever the next event is, whichever one I end up starting, you know, back on the trail with him. Um, But I think the American people recognize that Donald Trump really is trying to save America and he's the only one that can do it. There is nobody else that can take on the swamp and survive the way that he can. There, No other candidate would survive what he has not just survived, but he's winning. And, and continues to go through, right? We see yeah. all of the major news outlets, both on the radical left and the what what some people would consider the right. I mean, Sean Hannity did a 10-minute piece last night on the Stormy Daniels New York case. I think that's totally like out of line and irrelevant. All it does is kind of rehash old wounds that aren't going anywhere, especially when a lot of the progressive outlets, I think the Wall Street Journal and Politico put out pieces over the weekend that said, like, it's very nice to, like, grandstand about Donald Trump getting indicted in in New York State for the Stormy Daniels stuff, but there are many political hurdles to get there. And when you have the people who are cheering on a possible indictment saying, this really isn't going to go anywhere. It doesn't make any sense for places like Fox News to even talk about it. Yeah, I mean, there's only one reason why they would talk about it is because they're behind DeSantis or they're behind another candidate. So uh, I think they're trying to hurt Donald Trump despite, you know, they're trying to to hurt him without looking like they're hurting him. The reality is it's not going to hurt him. There's no way that there's going to be an indictment coming out of that. There's no crime committed. You're allowed to spend your own money on whatever you want when you're campaigning. So there's no, no issue there that I, I see anyone being able to indict him on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the media is trying to do damage without looking like they're trying to do damage. And here's the thing. From a lawyer who's worked some, you know, with some high-profile people, namely the 45th president of the United States, is probably your, you know, one of your biggest clients ever. L- let me lay this out for our listenership now, Christina. If Donald Trump on the street starts getting word that another major public figure, I don't know what you want to call Stormy Daniels, but when her and Michael Avenatti were going around smearing him and saying stuff, even if nothing ever happened. Don't you have to financially like protect yourself, your name, your brand at risk of like this spiraling into something that is even less true than the actual allegations that are being met? You can't just ignore it and like say, oh, no, that's not true. That never happened. And just like make it go away. When you get into like the high profile lives of some of these, you know, figures that are some of the biggest on our planet, it's like it's always money going in and out. Not I'm talking 
I'm talking about it to like save your name and, and defend yeah, your brand. Yeah, meaning you're not trying to get out of responsibility for something you did. You're right. just trying to get it to go away. Yeah, I think that happens all the time. I think it happens all the time with a lot of different people and companies. I mean, businesses do that all the time. Uh, you know, you can throw a little bit of money at a problem and make it go away, or you can not do that and then have it fester and, you know, create all kinds of other problems. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing unusual at all about anything that happened. Unless you're Silicon Valley Bank, which we talked about in our opening right, today. Right. They, they, tried no, to, no. they tried to throw knowing, $5 billion at ESG, and they just went away themselves. So, Alan, no. what, what were you going to say? Knowing how, how, how corrupt the criminal justice can be, especially in places like New York and D.C. Now, Christina, let's just say worst case scenario, a corrupt, because that's what I call it, indictment does come down. I truly believe it. I'd like to hear how you believe uh, think on it. Is that Donald Trump will use that to his advantage. And I believe that an indictment similar to when the FBI showed up at Mar-a-Lago and mm -hmm. treated you like garbage, that it will galvanize the base. And yeah, well. You know, make him like a martyr. Like, look what they're doing. We knew that the the government, the agencies, the the corrupt criminal justice system, how corrupt it was, and now they're doing this to the man who loves America, who has done it all, who has nothing to lose, who's seventy four years old and a, a billionaire who could be living his life down at Mar-a-Lago, not caring, but he does care, and he has nothing to gain other than he wants America to succeed. So, you know. Do you think he would he would turn around and say, "Yeah, they indicted me now"? Now look look now. Now we know how corrupt the system is. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Whatever they try to do to Donald Trump will backfire. It will have a very strong kick to it, and I think they're underestimating that, just like they underestimated the Mar-a-Lago raid. Although sure. I don't think they planned on making that public, but that's a, another. Up on them. They didn't plan for you uh, hanging out at the end of the driveway all day. And me running my mouth the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't think they planned on that. So, um, yeah, I, I think anything that they try to do to him is just going to thrust him further along as the Republican nominee. So I, I think they probably are trying to calculate that a little bit to the extent that they can. I think they're so biased they can't even appropriately do that. Right. But yeah, whatever they try to do is only only going to help Donald Trump to the extent that he overcomes it. I mean, he's overcome everything up to this point. I don't expect him to have any trouble overcoming what they throw at him now. Yeah, and you know, that is an excellent point you make there. And I think uh, you could see it in some of his rising poll numbers. A lot of the polls that have showed Donald Trump's numbers gone up over the last month or two, I think that has a direct correlation to the, you know, kind of covert way that Fox News is pumping everybody out right now except Donald Trump, downplaying a lot of the stuff he's doing. And then, you know, there has to be people out there who's like, okay, well, at least know he's running. Why don't they ever show him? Like, he's, he does speaking events. They didn't show CPAC. The Iowa thing was on the news in pieces yesterday, but they didn't broadcast it live. And I think people were starting to say, like, you know, I I remember when they tried to do this the last couple of times, and it seems like he's come out on top. So I think we're going to, you know, continue to stay where the winners are. And right now, that's with Donald Trump. Well, to your point on that, actually, if they indict him in some way, they're going to have to cover him. They're going to have to cover whatever they're trying to do to him. Yeah. Because that is massive, historic news. And so if they're not going to cover him positively, they're going to give him coverage, and it's only going to propel him. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that that that's the point right there. And uh, then we'll have even more receipts on people that are flipping script faster than ever before, yep. which is a lot what we see with some of the uh, you know, online influencers out there and all of the paid personalities at the behest of the DeSantis campaign and, and at the direction of Christina Pushaw right now. Alan mentioned that he wants to make America great again. I think Donald Trump's more in the uh, demographic of wanting America to just survive, literally and metaphorically. Yeah. He talked about ending the war between Russia and Ukraine and how fast that would go down. Let's hear it. Before I arrive at the Oval Office, shortly after I win the presidency, I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It'll take 24 hours if it's not done before then. What a shame that is. What a shame, what a shame, what a shame. And the numbers, the deaths, and the people are being so horribly injured is far greater than what they're reporting. They blow down a city, buildings all over the building. It looks like a demolition site, and it, which is exactly what it is. And everybody is, so many people are being killed. And then they'll say, two people were injured. <laughs> no, no, many people are killed. The numbers are far worse, far worse than is being reported. It's a, hor- it's a horrible thing taking place. I could get that thing settled. It would have never happened if I were president. Zero chance. And even the Democrats admit that. Even the Democrats say, no, if Trump were president. And President Putin knows, could do. we used to talk about it, they can't do it. You're not going to do that. You know, if there was some missteps during the first Trump presidency that would lead me to believe that's him kind of projecting uh, what Trump foreign policy would have looked like in a second term and it's going to look like in 2025, I would have said, you know, there's a lot of different factors in play that lead into the equation that's going on between the regional border dispute uh, amongst Russia and Ukraine. However, it was world leader after world leader celebrating his visits, welcoming new partnerships, uh, talking about making each other's economy stronger. And you did see a, a, albeit brief time in in the totality of history of the United States, a time of like pretty much longstanding peace throughout the world when Donald Trump was president. And I think he understands it. He would, he would allude a little bit later in that portion right there that both countries have economic goals that they need to reach and neither one of them are getting there at any time in the near future. And the only economic goals that are getting met are the ones for the military industrial complex here in the United States and with some of the NATO partners who are shipping a whole bunch of equipment over there. Christine, do you believe the, the 45th president when he says he can get that wrapped up pretty quick, maybe even in 24 hours? A hundred percent. It would not be hard to solve this problem. Uh, It's manufactured by the Biden administration in conjunction with Ukraine and possibly with China too. Uh, they have long used Ukraine as their money laundering facility, and they're doing that right now. And so if your intent is not to launder money, it would be very easy to wrap this up. And then China also benefits from it because sending equipment and all of our supplies over there weakens our national security, just like he depleted our uh, strategic oil reserves. Uh, He's intentionally making us weaker. So yes, I think I think President Trump would absolutely get this resolved before he even takes office. Yeah, if you could tell just by the way Zelensky was asking when he came over to meet with Donald Trump during the presidency and when they were having their joint fireside chat sit down for the press and Donald Trump kind of like cut everybody off and said, you know, this this needs to end now. This needs to end now. The, the, everything that's going over there, we've already given you stuff. You're not using it to the best of your ability and all you honestly do is want more. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about stuff like, that they want higher grade 
longer range weapons and fighter jets for, you know, counter offensives. And then I think it's to try and take back Crimea, which we just cannot absolutely have. I mean, that's, that's long gone. I think that would be negotiated for Russia in any kind of peace talks, but you know, having it where it's at right now, it's just, you know, you're continuing to pour gasoline unabated on a tinderbox and, and it's not getting any better. You know, one of the biggest things in Iowa, the ethanol energy, which Donald Trump was a huge supporter of, the $28 billion uh, to counter China's, uh, you know, the way that they abused farmers in the United States for so long were two of the biggest stumping points for the event. Donald Trump wanted to remind everybody why he was in Iowa. Let's hear it. I will cancel every Biden policy that's brutalizing our farmers. Every single one. Sounds pretty fired up. Thank you. You know, it's pretty weird. You, you've had all these other candidates go out on the campaign trail, both announced and unannounced. We'll start with the crappiest ones like John Bolton. Uh, you know, Nikki Haley's done a couple large in her eyes events just a couple hundred or even like a thousand or so people ron DeSantis is doing his uh way to get around campaign finance and 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 tax payments by doing a book tour right now as the governor of florida uh at multiple events in multiple states you don't ever hear the interactive level of the crowd as you do at a donald trump speech or speaking event right what do you think the what is it what is it behind that like is it that nobody these- wants to hear them? <laughs> nobody cares about those people. And to put it into perspective, this last weekend I went to Pennsylvania uh, and met with Doug Mastriano, who okay. we put together. He's doing a great, great work. And uh, there are two county commissioner seats open in Franklin County. That's one of the counties that he represents. And of course, county commissioner seats are very important for election integrity and um, a lot of the the local events. County commissioners. County commissioners, this was a, if you call it a rally or an event or whatever it was, there were close to a thousand people there. So if you're telling me Nikki Haley is getting a thousand people at her events when she's running for president of the United States, yet you have county commissioners in a tiny little Franklin County, Pennsylvania, and you've got a thousand MAGA patriots show up It's because the MAGA patriots are engaged, involved. They know what they want and they don't want those silly rhinos that pretend to be MAGA. They pretend to be good for America. They're not. They're the same old, same old. Everyone can tell and they don't want them. I don't think anybody wants them. And, you know, you just get that energy level from the crowd. There was a amazing, you know, the portion of the, the speaking event that I thought was the best was the after part where he fielded questions from the audience he took questions from children and and a whole bunch of people that were in the audience that were you know directly related to some of the policy uh points that he tried to make during that speaking event and i think it's part of that you know and then he stopped at the barbecue joint beforehand and bought a whole bunch of food bought uh food for the entire fire department there who was eating lunch as well and that's just some of the things you don't see with the other candidates is not just coming off on tv like when you do the sunday morning news circuit as someone that's like 
uh, a warm, touchable figure, actually being that figure, which which takes a lot when when you have the status of, of Donald Trump as a former president of the United States. Guys, if you're listening right now on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribing to the show. Hit the notification bell, rate it, review. Also, across all social medias, type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Give us a follow. Jump in the comments. If you want to email the show, Steak for Breakfast Podcast at ProtonMail.com. We'll read the best ones on air. And as we're getting ready to segue here, Donald Trump, of course, had to take a hit at some of his opponents right now in the polls. It's showing that even though he's not announced officially yet, Ron DeSantis is it. Uh, he roped him in with Paul Ryan and all the rest of the establishment rhinos. Let's hear it. But you have to remember, Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan, who is a rhino loser who currently <laughs> is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against, remember that, the wheelchair over the cliffs, the Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about <laughs> talking him. talking about memes. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. Mm. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. But those are the facts, but I'm proud to say the final number. And, you know, straw polls aside, current polls out there, we all know that they, you know, pick and choose how they put the polls out there. When you just look at receipts, when he was a candidate in the U.S. House of Representatives, Ron DeSantis voted against uh, less regulations and opening up the ethanol pathway in Iowa three separate times, three separate bills that were presented that would have helped out Iowa farmers get more ethanol into uh you know, to the American public with less regulations and, and in turn allow them to make more money. He killed it three times, helped kill it with, with some of his uh, House Republican counterparts back when he was representative. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. This is probably going to get a lot uglier, Christina. He hasn't even officially picked a nickname yet. He's still going with Ronda Sanctimonious. <laughs> he's got to so, try him out. <laughs> yeah, I, I know he's going to stay away from Meatball, but I think the best way of not using that is saying that he's not going to use it, so he still says it. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's just really a shame for for what's kind of happened, how the, these big time, you know, corporate billionaires uh, have, you know, kind of consolidated all of their money and, and put all of their investment into Ron DeSantis. I, I, I'll yeah. be completely honest with you as someone that does this partially for a living. Ron DeSantis looks very uncomfortable and he looks very not happy when he's out there. It, it, forced smiles, forced laughed, prepared talking yeah. points. It looks he's like he's not genuine. Yeah. He's controlled. He's got bumpers on where he can go and not go right now. I mean, as soon as he starts weighing in on like all things presidential, then people yeah. are really going to say, Hey, are you doing this book tour as the governor who wrote a book about you being the governor in the state of Florida? Or are you really trying to get away from paying campaign finances by uh, going out there and being on the campaign trail ahead of officially announcing? Yeah, well, that's, what, that's what he's doing. And a few people, it, it always astonishes me that people are unsure whether Ron DeSantis is running or not. Um, if I could just remind everybody, Florida has a resign to run law. Yep. So if he were going to announce that he's running for president right now, he would have to resign as governor. Obviously, he doesn't want to do that. So he's currently working or his staff or whatever you want to call it is lobbying the Florida state legislature to, to try to change that law so that he can be the governor of Florida, keep his role, but tour the country running for president while he's taking paychecks from Florida citizens, myself included. So that's the that's what's going on here. This isn't a oh he's still weighing it. Maybe he won't do it. No, no, no. the guy's sold out. He's sold out. 
We just got to wait and see how it plays it out. Yeah, we certainly do. And as we wait for that, we're reminded all the time of what this is. We're entering the 11th hour for the country. We see the banks starting to collapse. Uh, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, we're, we're knees deep in a recession, toes are to the line to World War III, and now we're starting to see the domestic housing markets at the highest level starting to crack. People are starting to lose their homes, they're sewing over their heads, credit card debt for a nation. For the first time in history, is over a trillion dollars, and Donald Trump knows all of this stuff and highlights it. And the last clip we're going to play with Christina here, let's hear it. We have no choice. If we don't do this, our country will be lost forever. People are tired of rhinos and globalists. They want to see America first. That's what they want. It's not too complicated. This is the final battle. They know it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is it. Either they win or we win. And if they win, we no longer have a country. And I promise you this. If you put me back in the White House, that beautiful building, but I live in very beautiful buildings, it's not that reason. <laughs> beautiful. That building wasn't the easiest building to live in. <laughs> we well, he kind of lays it out there. This is the final battle. He also invokes some of the uh, lines he used in the 2016 Republican Convention acceptance speech there. Uh, and, and it's just, he harnessed a little bit of classic Trump, which I think he needs to do. I think he's definitely getting his sword sharpened right now as he's heading into the election cycle and uh, getting ready for more opponents to jump in there. He's already kind of put everybody on notice. Christina, we also told everybody that we think he widened and reclaimed the base with his CPAC speech, such a policy-driven speech, and uh, calling out yep. people by names who, who he definitely wants to separate himself from. So... We're going to continue to see what, what President Trump's got going on next. He did tease that rallies are coming, but it's still too cold in a lot of parts of the country that he's going to be visiting to hold them. So he'll, he'll have a little bit more intimate speaking events, but it's going to be packed houses and lines outside like it's been since he's announced in November. So, Christina, we know you got a hard out. We, we are getting ready to jump in with Josh Hammer right now, who's an opinion writer for Newsweek. He interviewed Ron DeSantis just over a week ago and also spoke on a panel at CPAC. So we're going to get some opposition research and commentary from him. Uh, but... All things related to you, we love when you come on the show. You've, you've been really busy lately. We're going to get you back soon. Your book's doing awesome. Uh, and you want to just tell our listenership where they could find you, where they could find the book. We'll live link everything and the Trump campaign in the, in the show description today. Yeah, thank you so much. You can find me on social media at Christina underscore Bob, or uh, you can get the book Stealing Your Vote, The Inside Story, The 2020 Election, and What It Means for 2024, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. And I'm excited that the audio version is out now, so you can also get the audio version off of Amazon. So check it out. It's a great read. I've read it. Noah's read it. Alan's read it. She's going to be jumping on Alan's show, The Great Divide, here and in, in, in not too long. Christina, like I said, we really love having you on the show, and we're going to have you back soon. Trump campaign attorney, Christina Bob, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Guys, we're going to be jumping in with Josh Hammer in just a second, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. You got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some farmer bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12 pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some farmer bills, traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. 
All right, joining us next on the show, he's an opinion editor at Newsweek and the host of the Josh Hammer Show, one of our great friends. Always love when he comes and contributes on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us today on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to host you. So listen, our listenership needs to know about all the great stuff you've got going on. We try to share a lot of your works. I enjoy listening to your podcast as well, the multiple podcasts you're on. And uh, you you had a pretty big week not too long ago. It, it started with a face-to-face debate with Alan Dershowitz. There was a little Ron DeSantis interview in there as well, and then you wrapped it up with a big piece at, at CPAC. Let's walk through all this for our listenership and, and kind of unpack it for them and hear all the great stuff that you've been doing. Sure. So, yeah, so this was two weeks ago, I guess it was. Um, it's kind of all become a blur, to be honest with you, because <laughs> just last week, the week between then and now, I actually was on the road in Texas for three nights. I had four speaking events in three days. So it's been kind of, it's been kind of all of a continual blur, to be honest with you. But, yeah, going back two weeks ago, so um, what happened was, I, I, I guess the order is slightly different than what you said. So I think first what dropped was my uh, on my podcast, which you uh, very graciously flagged, the Josh Hammer Show, I was able to get Governor DeSantis on, not a not a super long interview, but I think it was probably 18 minutes or so. Uh, part of his book tour rollout, he's done. He's done a number of media hits, and that was that was really cool. My first time interviewing the governor myself. Got six or seven questions in. You know, a little bit of shameless self promotion, but obviously <laughs> encourage the listeners of, of this of this program to go ahead and check it out. Um, it, it was definitely uh, a, very enjoyable for me. Probably the highest profile politician that I have ever personally interviewed at least in the u.s I, I i actually interviewed the prime minister of poland a year and a half ago so i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not sure which which is higher it doesn't it's neither here nor there but that was a lot of fun and then actually i think it was that same night so uh two tuesdays ago if i if i have my calendar correctly here i did do this in-person debate with Alan Dershowitz in Miami Beach, or, you know, at least I thought it was going to be more of a discussion and turned into a bit bit more of a debate. Um, you know, Al and I have had become friendly uh, over the past few years. I published him quite a bit in Newsweek because I do run the op-ed section there. And we kind of got into a bit of an email back and forth about uh, Israel's current judicial reform controversy, whether the Netanyahu government is correct to be pushing the bill as it currently stands or whether or not it goes too far. So we ended up doing a back and forth about that at a large synagogue in Miami Beach uh, it's, it's very fun for me for numerous reasons, one of which he's obviously Alan Dershowitz. He's a household name for you know millions upon millions of people. And the event or the debate, I should say, was actually also moderated by a good friend of mine who's my law school classmate who actually was also Alan's former lawyer in Alan's Netflix defamation lawsuit. So the whole event was was very kind of personally enjoyable. And then, yeah, you're right. Uh, so then later that week, I did fly up to CPAC just just for just for a quick trip. I was just kind of in and out. I was there for one night, basically two full days. And the panel that I did, along with my good friend Eugene Kantarovich, was on that very same issue. We're talking about Israel's judicial reform controversy, um, which is actually really not necessarily a kind of narrow constitutional law debate in Israel. It's, it's actually part of a much broader story about kind of popular sovereignty and nationalism versus kind of unaccountable bureaucracy and globalism that is very much kind of the paradigm in which the judicial reform debate sits and that explains why the left-wing press all over the world is flipping out about it so much it's the exact same reason they flipped out about brexit in the uk they flipped out about president trump all of these stories kind of go hand in hand so yeah it was a bit of a whirlwind week Um, i'm a little under the weather so still recovering from all of it but uh, it's been a fun ride all right, let's rehash some of that because that's a, that's a big week for anybody. Uh, you know, you could talk about some of the people that, you know, have talk shows that get millions of views. They, w- they would have a comparable week to that, and, and it's one that you were just on uh, starting 
two Tuesdays ago. So the Ron DeSantis interview, what were some of your biggest takeaways? What, I mean, you know the governor. You, you, you've met with the governor. You, you're a supporter of Ron DeSantis. Uh, you are looking for something a little bit new in, in 2024. You've outlined it on the show. However, if anybody else, especially President Trump, was to win the nomination on the Republican side, you've also said that you'd support him as well, which I think anyone who's on either side of that coin feels exactly the same way. But sitting down with the governor and actually getting to uh, uh, unpack some things for your listenership, some of the questions you wanted to ask and answers he provided, what were your biggest takeaways? Well, you know, I, I asked the governor one question that comes immediately to mind. We were kind of talking about kind of his approach to gender ideology and critical race theory in the schools and kind of the imperative to just sometimes just not defer to not defer to norms of consent. But sometimes you actually have to regulate and actually ban certain things for the sake of regulating and banning certain things. Right. And, you know, I asked the governor because my view on Governor Santos's leadership um, my own view on 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 his tenure is, you know, whether it, it's basically I think that he stands well, he stands for numerous propositions. But one of the propositions that I think his governorship stands for is the idea that you have to choose that not choosing is not an option, that there is not kind of an easy values neutral way out. You know, as you know, I'm a lawyer by background. I actually do a lot of work in kind of legal theory. This is kind of my whole approach to constitutional interpretation as well. So I'm very attracted to this idea of having to choose and having to decisively decide. So, you know, I asked the governor that question straight up and, you know, he didn't didn't give me like a yes or no answer, but I definitely took his his answer as basically saying yes. And, you know, this interview that I did with him was also around the same time that he had his Wall Street Journal op-ed explaining why he punished the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, that is also an example of having to decide. So, you know, kind of the old kind of libertarian leaning kind of right liberal reflex you know, in the context of kind of free enterprise or private corporations would just be like, oh, just let them do what they want. It's free business. Why is government getting involved? But, you know, that's not the Florida framework here. And it's not just Disney. It's also kind of vaccine mandates. So numerous states, but Florida in particular, banned private sector, private sector companies from instituting vaccine mandates as further employers. So it's employees. So it's, it's the whole idea here of having to decide. And, you know, I came away from that interview, you know, feeling pretty solid about where he stands on it. Do you think because it's an always moving parts kind of uh, philosophy and policy that he tries to institute there in Florida is why you can't always give a concrete answer? Because you could have detractors go and go, well, there's this court case that you're not winning or there's this thing that we don't think you went hard enough on. And, and you kind of have to give an answer that that is uh, you know partially fluid because it's something that's always changing and developing as he goes through the course of, of his term as governor. That's part of it. I mean, when it comes to the Stop Woke Act in particular, which is the legislation that Florida passed last year that effectively bans critical race theory and racial indoctrination in, in, a, in, in a corporate setting, which is, again, kind of the exact same idea here of not just deferring to businesses, but actually saying no certain things are just wrong for the sake of being wrong, period, and therefore we should ban them. The Stop Woke Act is currently on appeal uh, before the 11th Circuit Federal Court of Appeals. So, you know, for that you know, that's one example of a case where I think he would probably be remiss to comment on while there's kind of actively pending litigation. But no, look, in general, my perception of Governor Santos is that he calls it like he sees it. Um, you know, he's just not necessarily prone to kind of giving kind of quicker, easy kind of yes or no answers. He just likes to kind of ex- explain his position a little more. But, you know, I mean, uh, the night before we're recording this, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson did a segment where he read kind of the foreign policy answers to a lot of prospective or potential 2024 candidates on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And- Sure. Um, you know, you know, same thing. I thought Governor Sanders' answer to that was not like a yes or no answer, but, you know, he explained it at length. And um, I thought the answer was fairly compelling. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, and I do think he's done a lot of great things in regards to uh, protecting kids, uh, people from the vaccine, and then obviously countering the uh, woke agenda overall. I mean, there's there's a lot of people, especially now because the uh, perspective of him getting into the presidential race is really heating up. You have Donald Trump talking about it on the campaign trail. You have Ron DeSantis answering to extent questions about it from the press. But you, you like people are now getting to the point to where like if there's a drag anything in Florida or one teacher makes a TikTok video and is like, oh, I'm in Florida and I have a, you know, gay pride flag in my classroom. Everybody's like, oh, look at Ron DeSantis isn't getting his policies. Like, that's not really the way it works. That's one person out of millions of people that live in Florida. And obviously these things are addressed on a case by case basis. So I think there's a lot of harsh, crit- you know, there's a lot of good stuff that Ron DeSantis does is this presidential race is probably going to heat up and get ugly as we both talked about and pretty much agree on, uh, to most extent, but but I think when you, when you talk about you can't just take away or erase or not acknowledge a lot of the good stuff that he's done over the course of his term as the governor there, and and whether or not you know that's going to parlay into a presidential run right now. I think it is. I, I'm pretty sure you think so as well. Uh, we'll have to take it from there and, and see what happens. Yeah. Well, one quick comment on your you know your point about you know there might be some teachers kind of flying the rainbow flag, whatever. Well, first of all, you know, there, there have been some, some high-profile examples of teachers who have been punished and have been fired Absolutely. for various kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, flagrant kind of middle finger flipping at the American flag and so forth there. But, you know, the lawyer in me, I, I guess, feels kind of compelled to point out there that that's kind of the same way whenever you pass a law, period. So, yep. you know, pr- prosecutorial resources are always going to be limited. You know, uh, people who are in charge of kind of, or who are tasked with kind of enforcing the law, necessarily are not able to track down every offender. And that's obviously the reason why we have any number of kind of, you know, muggings or carjackings or robberies or even homicides where they ultimately tragically get off scot-free. That's unfortunately kind of just the way the cookie crumbles there. Um, you know, when it comes to 2024 in particular, you know, look, I, I like you, I, I, I do not know whether he's going to enter the field. It certainly seems like he's laying all the foundations there, uh, you know, with the with, with the book tour. Um, there's a there's a major super PAC that I think was just announced uh, over the over the past week or so. Yep. So you know, I, I would be I would be pretty surprised at this point if he if he if he does not enter. You know, look, it's going to be ugly and it's going to be fun. I I am both very excited and I am also just really dreading it. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, especially like you, like now that I kind of like w- you know work in this broader space. You know, more or less full time, you know, if that Trump DeSantis fight ultimately does emerge, you know, one thing that that I've given a lot of thought to over the past couple of weeks is the very last thing that I would ever want is for whatever is happening in the national stage to affect me on a personal level. I right. have no interest whatsoever um, in, you know, in, in kind of getting in kind of Twitter squabbles or petty back and forth with people who may fall on the opposite side of that particular divide who I that nonetheless consider a good personal friend, things like that. And, you know, that's what I've been thinking about a lot recently. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously, he's not announced quite yet. And, you know, what of of the non-Trump people who have entered the field, it's what it's Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. So, I mean, like, give me a freaking break. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I mean, as 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 of right now, Trump is sitting real, real pretty, obviously. Yeah, we got a lot of room for uh, people to get in there. It's going to be. You know, now it's kind of like uh, the heavyweight contender moving up through, uh, you know, getting through opponents as he's getting ready for the heavyweight matches. But I feel by the time we hit uh, the peak of summer this year, it's going to look a lot more like the Royal Rumble in WWE. And that's just that's just my opinion. You got a lot of people, especially former Trump administration officials, obviously Vice President Pence, Nikki Haley's already announced, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You're going to be seeing a lot of mud being slang. And uh, although 
it'll never get to fisticuffs, it's going to be probably just short of there a lot, and there's going to be some major talking points. It's what's good for us because we're in the business. We'll have a lot of stuff to talk about uh, moving forward with that. Josh, one thing I definitely want to uh, help our listenership understand a little bit more, and, and obviously I don't want to take away from how big your week was two weeks ago, your head-to-head debate with Alan Dershowitz, uh, your speaking panel at CPAC, and just the overall narrative of the judicial process debate that's going on in Israel. This is not something that's just uh, in a small square within like social media. This is something that has ripple effects that not only you know directly affects all the people who live in Israel, but people all around the world. Why is this such an important idea? Item that you've seen kind of, you know, picked up the sword on domestically here in the United States as one of the leaders who want to advocate for people to be aware about this. And what can you tell our listenership they should be looking for as this, you know, kind of process and debate moves forward? So I've been passionate about this because it is a direct mirror image of exactly what Donald Trump faced when he was president. You basically just swap out the bureaucracy, the deep state for the Supreme Court, and it's the exact same thing. I mean, even the personal parallels between Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu are eerily similar, actually. I mean, they are both both being prosecuted for frivolous grounds. There were various kind of faux indictments. You know, there was the Russia collusion delusion. In Netanyahu's case, there's this ridiculous charge of alleged bribery for taking a few cigars. I mean, like the whole thing is absolutely nonsense but when you look at the powers and again this is you know like my legal background when you look at the powers of the israeli supreme court has it's unfathomable i i I mean that court is more powerful than any other country supreme court that i have looked at anyone in europe south america anything so in the u.s just to give a few very quick examples here one thing that you have to have in order to bring a lawsuit in federal court is you need what lawyers call standing. You need to show that you have an actual injury and that the injury relates to a remedy that the court can then give to redeem your injury. Israel has no concept of standing. So anyone in the entire country can bring any suit at any time and on any issue for any reason. What's more, the U.S. obviously has a written constitution. So when the U.S. Supreme Court says that a statute or an executive action is unconstitutional, they're doing so by pointing to a very specific constitutional provision. Israel has no written constitution. So over there, the Supreme Court sometimes will just strike down legislation by saying it is unreasonable. And it's not just legislation. They're literally saying cabinet appointments are unreasonable, foreign policy decisions are unreasonable. It is true unvarnished judicial supremacy. And again, the parallels to what's happening in the U.S. are very stark. It's very similar to the battles that have happened in Hungary and Poland in recent years as well. And, you know, again, for for, for nationalists, and I do kind of, um, you know, adhere to kind of the national conservatism school of thought. Sure. You know, if you if you value the nation state and the perpetuation of the nation state and the customs and traditions that that, that alone can kind of sustain the intergenerational notion of, of a compact, then you have to support reigning in the judiciary in this particular context. And, you know, the final thing that, that makes it relevant from a U.S. perspective here, is that Netanyahu is obviously a conservative, and yep. his coalition in particular is is by far probably the most conservative that Israel has ever had in its 75-year-old history. They can't get anything done until this passes, because whatever they do could just be struck down as unreasonable. So, right. you know, if you support a more conservative Israel and all that that entails for the Palestinians, for Iran, and all the various issues in the region, then you have to support this judicial reform package, because otherwise nothing would get done at all. 
Yeah, and it seems like uh, that's a, a lot of the red flags and concerns that Donald Trump had throughout the presidency. You you highlighted so well there that you know Netanyahu is going through right now in Israel and is kind of you know putting it out there to the people. Hopefully, they make the right decision on these reforms, and we'll be keeping an eye on that as we're keeping an eye on you. Until next time, you join us on the show, Josh. We're going to link the uh, Josh Hammer Show and the Natcon Podcast as we always do. We'll, we'll link your latest in Newsweek as well. But anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks for having me as always. So Josh underscore Hammer on Twitter. Uh, my Instagram page, if you're an Instagram person, is Josh B. Hammer. Probably should post a little more there than I do. And uh, I, have, I have a public Facebook page as well. I think it's real Josh Hammer. But, you know, Twitter is the, my big platform. So Josh underscore Hammer. Well, thanks for the debate today and uh, healthy conversation. We'll look forward to having you back soon, Josh. This is the host of the Josh Hammer, Hammer Show, opinion editor at Newsweek. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us on the Safe for Breakfast. Anytime, guys. We don't have to go back very far to get to a path to fiscal balance with our country. As others have said, if you just go back to pre-COVID spending, we were spending $4.4 trillion for this bloated, inefficient, ridiculously funded federal government just pre-COVID, $4.4 trillion. With the Trump tax cuts and the economic growth that we were enjoying until this president, we now have been realizing $4.9 trillion in revenue, half a trillion dollars more than we were spending just pre-COVID. So in other words, if we had kept spending flat pre-COVID, we would be putting towards debt reduction a surplus of half a trillion dollars with the current tax revenue coming in at $4.9 trillion. The problem is, is we have spent over $6 trillion the last couple of years in the Biden administration, and now he wants to take it to nearly seven trillion dollars we're not going to allow that to happen we are the responsible ones as the republican party led by the house freedom caucus that we're going to bring fiscal sanity to this country you have to wonder is the president economically illiterate is he fiscally illiterate or does he just intentionally want to further harm the country with the spending that he's bringing or proposes to bring with this new budget but you know as we're cutting with josh hammer right now and jumping back into the news we're going to introduce a little bit of the uh of the Biden budget that was presented on Friday, right as the SVB bank was collapsing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a monster. It, it's a big one. And it's, it's pretty ugly. This is, this is probably, you know, final form of every bad omnibus bill that we've ever seen and all the bad things, you know, as uh, Bob Good was pointing out there, the close to $7 trillion monster spending package would raise taxes an additional $2 trillion across the country. Um, Perfect. Yeah, exactly. It has the potential to explode up to a $10 trillion spending bill, which by 2023 would put the national debt over $50 trillion. And uh, surprising, surprisingly set some of its sights on the billionaire donor class. Which, uh, you know, as I talked with with Jim Nell's uh, contributor from the National Post and here on Steak for Breakfast over the weekend, he said that, you know, Speaker McCarthy and people like Matt Gates, the anti-reckless spending House Republicans, should force a vote on that portion of the bill on the floor to get receipts from from the Democrats who, who are blindingly supporting Joe Biden's budget because, you know, it's directly affecting their donors. It would also slash immediately up to 200,000 jobs, but that the, the potential to go to over a million domestically. And, uh, you know, this is something that Republicans need to draw a line in the sand on. You know, we saw during the Obama administration, we had a unanimous vote to not pass one of Barack Obama's annual budgets. And I think we need to do the same thing now. Um, I don't even think there's a lot when it, when you show about at the current state of the economy with inflation, the banks collapsing, all that stuff. I don't even know where Mitch McConnell, who, who's on the mend in rehab right now, he cracked his shell last oh, week when, when he fell after a speaking event 
at a ho- watching the DC hotel. So it was so awesome. The New York Post put out a, uh, a tweet yesterday. I shared it, and it said, like, Mitch McConnell uh, is discharged from the hospital and enters rehab after his fall last week, and it was a, just a huge picture of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> so... We, we outline a lot of these uh, of the scariest parts of, of the Biden budget in our newest Substack, which dropped today. So just you know, head over to Substack, type in steak for breakfast, give it a a view. Make sure you subscribe. Weekly newsletter comes out every week. Uh, gives you everything that's going on in the show, what's coming down the pike, and things of that nature. But uh, I'm sure both of you guys saw part of the budget. You know, at least got to deconstruct it a little bit over the weekend. What do you guys think when you saw some of the massive red flags that that are attached to it? I can't even begin to just wrap my head around the, just the insanity that everything, everything that happens with this administration. I know we always say that we we're not going to be surprised anymore, Sure, but I still get surprised. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like, I, I always say nothing surprises me, but it, it, I can't say that anymore. No, it, it's just, I, I'm in the same boat. Honestly, it's just it's we insulting. It is. It, it, we can't be surprised anymore. I mean, everything that, that they turn around, they take over the administration, this horrific regime. They roll back everything, Trump, get rid of it. Everything falls apart. Everything was the average American. Forget about, you know, if you're if you're dialed into politics, just the average American, how you can't realize how great things were. Your bank accounts, your investments, the economy, prices, everything. And then all of a sudden it changes, you know. The dark winter. Well, the dark winter was the Biden regime, uh, you know, and just coming in and shitting on everything, canceling everything that's good. It's like the fun police came and said, that's it. We're taking everybody's uh, yeah, everything that's fun away in, in terms of, of making life good. Uh, Wait, you're saying it's not all Trump's fault. <laughs> it's not. Well, no, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm saying it's not all Trump's fault, but of, of course, that's the narrative. That's the spin. Trump is a criminal, going to get indicted. Everything's his fault. He destroyed this country. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Meanwhile, the Biden regime is over here, you know, screwing things so bad that the 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 Fed actually has to raise interest rates just because of the ridiculous spending that the Biden regime has has uh, completed. And we saw and- we saw both Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen up on Capitol Hill threatening to raise those rates as the only option out ahead of the debt ceiling debate just on Friday. But go on, Alan. No, you said it right there. They, they, and that's exactly what they were doing and what they did. There's a couple articles out there about it. I mean, literally, you can't deny that. I'm sorry, but the Biden administration is more responsible than Trump. The... In, yeah. in, inflationary spending it caused like again the the fed to raise interest rates which devalued the bank's investments in in whether it's you know long-term bonds and it causes them to sell off i mean i believe it's the fdic yep is still that they tried to auction off svb i think on saturday failed miserably they were trying to do it again on sunday i don't know if it even ever happened but Biden's economics, Biden's economic policies, one hundred percent directly contributed to where we are financially, the economy, the banks, everything. And I'm sure that more banks are going to fail. Yeah. And to oh, all yeah. the conspiracy theorists out there, congratulations because you were right yet again. No, it's uh, it's getting ugly. And Joe Biden has actually now put into print the the part that he's been whispering out Every loud. Let's hear it. That's out there that I'm proposing. And no one over 400, making less than $400,000 is going to pay a penny more than taxes. But lay it out 
by March 9th, everything, and what we're, what we're going to cut, what we're going to spend, what we're going to do. Just lay it on the table. And I've invited them to Republicans. They should do the same thing. Lay their proposal on the table. And we can sit down. And we can agree and disagree. We can fight it out. When I introduce my budget, you'll see that's going to invest in America, lower health costs, and protect and strengthen Social Security Medicare, while cutting the deficit more than $2 trillion over the next 10 years. But by the way... Wait for it. I want to make it clear. I'm going to raise some taxes. Yeah, there it is. I mean, he's been saying it from the lectern for for quite a bit now, and uh, we actually got those receipts in the form of uh, his budget bill, which doesn't cut the national debt and increases it by uh, 2033 by $10 trillion. And as long as the Bernie Sanders and and climate fanatic nut wings are driving, the the, uh, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party is continuing to drive the budgetary portions of the Biden regime, this is the shit we're going to get every time something is presented. And let's not forget, everybody, that that deregulation that Trump did, that people were in favor for it was bipartisan yep okay the deregulation of the big banks that donald trump put in place was bipartisan but they won't they will never mention that donald trump didn't cause any of these failures the biden regime and the sick commies out there on the left 100 percent intentionally did it it's ugly, and there there are a few places where this budget should go. I think Senator John Kennedy outlined it best. The trash? Close. He was on Fox News Sunday. Let's hear him. The president's budget took my breath away. Um, his numbers are extraordinary. We're going to run out of digits here. It's a $6.9 trillion budget, $4.7 trillion in new taxes that will affect everyone over 10 years, $18 trillion in new debt, a cut to defense. The president says that his budget will solve our financial problems in Medicare and Social Security. That's not true. Uh, Anything seems possible when you don't know what you're talking about. The Wall Street Journal just reported that the president's budget will will add eight, rather $11 trillion in a financial shortfall to Social Security and Medicare. Uh, The only way I know how to improve the president's budget is with a shredder. So that's our national treasure who, uh, listen, when it comes to things Ukraine related, which we're going to be talking about in just a second, I don't necessarily always agree with, uh, Senator John Kennedy, but, but some of the fiscal conservative principles that we like to uphold a lot of the ones that, you know, we try to keep going from the Trump administration. Uh, he's always out ahead of, so he hammered those, those climate experts, I'm air quoting a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, is going to continue to do that as he's talking about all the diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is mentioned 143 times throughout the bill. <laughs> but things uh. like things like border security and uh, not the 80,000 IRS agents that they're trying to fund, but only the 335 uh, patrol agents for the Border Patrol uh, are mentioned as little as like three times because who needs that? Yeah, and like they mentioned, they mentioned uh, words like fentanyl and police and, you know, I, I don't know, some of the other stuff, like things that are massive current events things that are happening right now that are causing huge problems mention those limited amount of time perfect yeah 
what you shouldn't be mentioning with less frequency is where you follow Steak for Breakfast. Across every social media platform, type in Steak for Breakfast. Hit the notification bells there, wherever you're listening. Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio. Find the show, subscribe to it, rate it, leave a review. All things Steak will then be delivered to you via push notifications. We were pushed a Hillary Clinton interview over the weekend. She sat down with MSDNC as we switch gears here, and I'm going to touch on Ukraine just a little bit because Speaker McCarthy weighed in on it on the Sunday morning talk circuit as well. Let's hear Kill Dog talking about just what Ukraine needs to win. Ukrainians are fighting for what we've always said we were supposed to stand for. How inspiring is that to you? It's so inspiring to me, and I hope it is inspiring to every American, uh, particularly those in positions to make decisions, because we have to continue, and I would even argue, increase the military support that we give to the Ukrainians sooner. Does that include F-16s? Well, it includes air cover, it includes long-range missiles, it includes much more uh, defensive uh, systems, and not just from us, but from our NATO allies and others. But. They are on the front lines of freedom, and we need to support that. And we have to provide the humanitarian assistance that is so desperately needed for the Ukrainian people, both in the country and then, as the First Lady says, those who are displaced temporarily outside the country. Madam Zelenska, can you please talk about the challenges that uh, your people are facing? We're not even going to hear that through an interpreter. That was Hillary Clinton sitting down with Vladimir Zelensky's Again, air quoting, wife, on, on a, mm. on, for an exclusive interview on Sunday with MSDNC. She said they need everything. We all know that's not true. Ukraine's getting smashed right now uh, on the front lines. Hillary Clinton described it as the front lines of freedom. Uh, she knows she that. doesn't sound like a Muppet, too, does she? Oh, she certainly sounds like a Muppet a little bit. And uh, she's quickly de-evolving into looking like a George Soros double, body double over the course of, of, of her elderliness. But, you know, it's it's just absolutely insane. Like, this will be, for all the stuff that Joe Biden doesn't say and just pays for, Hillary Clinton's getting ahead of it and saying, like, not only are we going to pay for it, we're going to pay for it more. We're going to force our allies to do it as well. And then she talked about others. Like, who does that even... Who is that? Who are others? Is, is she going to be asking the Taliban to contribute some of our old arms to the to the fight in Ukraine that we left over there when Joe Biden abandoned it? I just don't understand how these people can even, you know, go out there and, and, and spew this garbage and, and think that people are going to, you know, take it and, and run with it is what, what the narrative should be. I actually... Fun fact, I found a second Ukraine flag uh, pretty close to my house. And, uh, it, yeah, pretty disturbing. I, I was actually shocked. So... Don't have any receipts on the people, but uh, you know one of the, one of the things we can guarantee is that rhetoric like that only makes all of the ties that we never wanted to happen stronger. We obviously talk about China Russia all the time on this show. Donald Trump said that should never happen. They should never be you know strong strategical allies, both militarily or for the economy. We've done both. Uh, Turkey's lost interest. Saudi Arabia's lost interest, and kicked off you know new working relations with Iran over the course of the last couple weeks. And uh, we, we just, India is, is a big factor in this equation. A lot of the BRICS countries uh, is, is what makes it up. And, and it seems like a pretty strong delegation of not America first, not wanting America to succeed, not wanting America to be the leaders of the, uh, you know, basically the free world anymore in any way. It, it Sounds is, like everything Democrats want. They don't, that, 
they they don't want us to be the uh, the leader of the uh, free world. <laughs> yeah, and and like I said, you have ones like Joe Joe Biden who does a little bit more overtly. He says they're not going to do stuff until they do stuff, and then when he has to backtrack, he's like, okay, well we gave him Patriot missiles, but we'll never give him planes. Like we're already, you know, in the process of of giving them you know fighter jets, and it's the same thing with you know some of our NATO allies. They say like well, we can't do this, we can't keep funding this, and then all of a sudden you see like Poland back down and give them jets as well. In our last audio clip of the day, I saw Speaker McCarthy sit down with Maria on Sunday. They talked about a host of issues, the budget, uh, the SVB collapse. But since we've covered all that stuff today and we're just touching on Ukraine here a little bit to keep it at everybody's forefront as it's something, you know, the biggest money waster that our government's going on right now besides Joe Biden's proposed budget. He talked about what happens when all these strategic allies uh, who don't want to see the U.S. succeed get together. Let's hear him worried are you that China becomes the power broker, bringing Saudi Arabia together with Iran? What is the significance of that? The time for worrying has passed. It, it is on the stage right now. We've watched China enter the Middle East, where they are now brokering a deal with Iran, putting them back on the world stage. And Maria, I'm very concerned that it looks a lot like 1936 all over again. Oh, An axis of power of Russia, China, North <laughs> Korea, and Iran bounding together against yeah. the freedom and values of what America represents. Remember, President Xi has only left his country one time during the pandemic. And that was Good for point. them all to meet. The yeah. last time we had a Democrat administration, they allowed Russia back into the Middle East. Now yeah. they're bringing China in as a leader. And we're watching our allies after what happened in Afghanistan. Yeah. That the Chancellor of Germany moves to goes to China to talk to them. We've watched Saudi Arabia try to build a better relationship with China. Yeah. That's because the lack of strength of our leadership in America, and that becomes from an economic and also from our energy policy yeah. and others. Mm. Makes a lot of good points there. Kind of lays it out that the at least the House Republicans are are aware of what's going on with some of our you know, non-historically strategic adversaries uh, getting together and, and what it means, people abandoning uh, support for America. You know, Donald Trump talked about it in his speaking event in Iowa yesterday. Uh, you know, the way he dealt with these people were like, okay, you're going to do business with the United States. And they're like, nah, I really don't want to do business with the United States. Okay, who do you do business with? Oh, I do business with China. Okay, so we sold you all this military equipment or we have a military base in your country and we're providing like literally defense for you with us servicemen and women. Correct. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. Starting tomorrow, anything we sold you, the deal is canceled and we're going to be getting out of that military base. We're not going to protect you anymore. Well, what do you mean you're doing that? Well, you said you deal with China and you'd rather buy equipment and stuff from them. Why would we protect you when you're buying equipment from China? You want to know what? I'd rather you protect this. Oh, okay. That's perfect. And we're seeing the complete opposite with Joe Biden. We're allowing him to get all of these people who we've historically protect or made, even if bully trading deals with, you know, to, to ensure American safety and prosperity fall by the wayside. Saudi Arabia was a huge, huge red flag for me. I didn't think that they would, number one, you know, especially after they had all the drone strikes last year on, on Saudi yeah. Arabian oil facilities by Iranian drones, to see them directly in conversations now and that whole deal being brokered by China it's even a worse red flag than China and Russia getting together. I mean, I, I like to say it often, but I'm going to remind our listenership. You have China, highest amount of people in the world. You have the largest economy in the world. And then Russia, the largest natural resources when it comes to energy in the world and the largest land mass in the world. You have those two countries getting together and forming a coalition 
of not happy with the United States countries right now. Turkey's pissed at us. UAE's pissed at us. India's pissed at us. Obviously, Saudi Arabia's pissed at us. And uh, it, it's stirring a recipe for disaster. And, and it's something that's not being talked about as enough. You, you see every single news outlet from, you know, the local ones like CBS, all the cable news outlets on the left and right side, Fox News, MSNBC, everybody bring in these fucking experts to talk about Ukraine is winning and the only way that we have success in the region if Russia is destroyed. Even talking about regime change. And, uh, you know, we're going to be sitting down with former Iceland ambassador um, uh, Gunter Ross on, on, on our Friday edition of the show and Cash Patel. And we're going to talk about some of these, you know, absolutely reckless ways that the Biden administration is, uh, you know, conducting itself right now. But as we're getting ready to cut, Alan, always awesome. You, you've been in for a large slate of shows lately as Noah's been out of the office and completing his advanced, advanced forklift training. Noah will be back in studio on Friday for all of our listenership. Alan, we might just invite you back Friday to make it an even week as well. But for everyone that's not following you, your podcast, Patriot Cigars, where can we find you? You get my uh, podcast over on Rumble, 1776live.tv. Follow me over on Twitter, Alan Jacoby, 1776. And if you want some great cigars, mypatriotcigars.com. Don't forget to use promo code STEAK so you can get 15% off your order. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's always great to be on Steak Breakfast. Always great having you in here as well. Noah, safe travels to you as you're getting ready to come back from advanced, advanced forklift training. I'll be extremely excited to have you back in studio on Friday so I don't have to do all the stuff that I normally don't do besides sit on the other end of the table and uh, get yelled at when you tell me I'm not doing stuff right. It's harder than it looks. It certainly is. A lot of people just think it's a whole bunch of this, but there's a whole variety of buttons on there that you can mess up the show with in time. It's a very large apparatus to operate. Got one in. I like it. Not a bad way to start the week. Can't wait for Noah to be back in studio. I'm sick and tired of pressing these buttons. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all our amazing guests today, Trump 2024 official spokeswoman, Miss Liz Harrington, Trump 2024 attorney, Miss Christina Bob, and Newsweek opinion editor, podcast host Josh Hammer. Always great having them on the show, and thanks for helping make stakes great again. Guys, you got to go out and throw some of your hard earned cash at our partners because when you do that, well, you're helping make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. You want the 2.0s, you want buy one, get one free. You enter promo code stake at checkout, you're getting that. If you want the coffee, you enter promo code stake here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake. If you want the pillows, MyStore.com forward slash stake. If you're into the coffee, and you can always talk to a qualified pillow representatives, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment. Want to get those headphones taken care of? Mr. Raheem Kassam said he loves them. They can only be found at Odyssey. Make the investment if you're writing some music, starting to record, doing podcasts. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Going to man rub some steak tonight. It's going to be delicious. You get 15% off your order when you enter promo code steak at checkout there. Manrubs.com is their website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan, who's been guest hosting, co-hosting with us for the last couple weeks while Noah's been out of the office. He is also the CEO of My Patriot Cigar Companies. They are amazing. So is he. 
Get a promo code stake here. You're getting 15% off your total order. Any order over 100 bucks, free shipping. $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website. It's premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're getting $5 off your order. Every order that includes a 12-pack of jerky, you get free shipping. Check out all the great stuff and delicious jerky they've got going on down at their website. FarmerBill'sProvisions.com is where you check them out there. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Friday. we got a little bit of a heater for you guys. Devin Nunez is going to be here. I think I'm going to try and get Corey Mills to come in and give an update on some of the stuff. He's been sitting on the oversight committee regarding the Afghan pullout as well. Cash Patel, former ambassadors Jeffrey Ross Gunter and Rick Grinnell will be here next Tuesday. Jim Nels and Mike Collins are coming in hot on the 24th. Max Miller and Boris Epstein will be here on the 28th of March. Friends of the week, got my list right here. Truth Social, Twitch streamer, crew, we see you. Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, CSM Master, they love their Minecraft. We love them for sharing steak for breakfast content. Some of our other internet friends, NN, Spoopy, always creeping, always sharing. Amazing Amy, Barry Razzi, Matthew Jaramillo, William S., can't forget about him. And then the meme team has been coming in hot and heavy all week. Machiavelli memes, dumbass Photoshop, Let's Go Brenda, Silent Meme Jordy, Grand Old Memes, John Hacker LA, What I Meme to Say, Lauren Eve, the first E is a three, Johnny Maga, Who White Memes, Edward Russell, and Right Wing Savages. You should be following all of those accounts across social media. You get some of the absolute most fire memes you could ever imagine. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Friday, number one, do your own research. The Biden budget is a disaster. If you want to know what some of the guts of it look like, check out our latest Substack. Go over to the Substack app, type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. You'll find it. Read the article, subscribe to it. It's going to be awesome. Number two, start a podcast. Easy peasy this week. Just a couple flags for Noah on this episode. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Perfect example of that. Liz Harrington, Christina Bob, and Trump's speaking event in Iowa yesterday. That is what American greatness looks like. We need to start talking about it more. We don't talk about it enough. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 221 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back 222 on Friday. Devin Nunez is at least going to be here. We'll see if we can get Corey Mills in here as well. On behalf of the rest of the pod team, who's remotely out of the office right now, but joining us in spirit, I'm Roan. Thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks, please. Go on, Stanley. I got a $100 check from my grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I, I have $100. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. Well, well, what can I do to get back I'm my... I'm sorry, sir, but this line is for bank members only. I just opened an account. Do you have any money invested with this bank? No, you just lost it all. Then please stand aside for people who actually have money with us. Next, please. Hey! Hello, Mrs. Farnickel. How are you today? Making a deposit, are we? Great, we can just put that into your retirement account and make it go to work for you, and it's gone. What? Sorry, yeah, that's gone. Please step aside for people who actually have money with the bank. Next, please. Dad! Hey, I'm trying to teach my son the importance of savings. You already lost his money? Oh, Mr. Marsh, d- don't worry. We can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's gone! This line is for people who have money with the bank only. Please step aside.